Strap one to all stations. Treat. Order imperative. Immediate retreat. You're listening to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Keith. This week we're talking about Jenny T. Colgan's novelisation of the first Doctor Who Christmas special, The Christmas Invasion. What are your sort of memories of, of watching this episode? Was I was very ago? excited. I remember there was a, like a, a preamble thing on the television, which you, was uh, like an interactive game, so I watched that. And we'd already watched the Children in Need special. Yeah. So we'd already seen his titles and his first scenes. But yes, I was very excited by this. Doctor Who was so in its ascendancy then, wasn't it? And it was, yeah, it was brilliant and a new Doctor. And somebody who sort of like was going to be a fan as well of it. And, yeah. Uh, who'd, would have been in Casanova, so no, I was very excited by it. Me too. I, I never quite got away with Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor. Uh, I know a lot of people like him, huh? and I think he's a brilliant actor. Never quite felt like the Doctor to me, uh, whereas David Tennant did immediately. Um, so I was really excited. The, the stuff I'd say, like say, say, everyone had watched Casanova, I think, because... Mm-hmm. They knew who was being cast. So, yep. uh, <laughs> I would have watched another one. Been, uh, yeah, it probably gave it a massive, uh, massive sort of um, boost in in its ratings. Um, and then I remember the the trailer. Well, there was a clip of the the bit where the TARDIS materializes um, on the Powell Estate. Oh, and crashes in yeah. midair and crashes, and just thinking that was one of the best things I'd ever seen. And we're so used to that now, seeing the TARDIS do that kind of thing. You yeah. know, in um, even the year after this, uh, in the Runaway Bride, we see it. You know. Flying down the motorway. Oh, isn't that brilliant? I still um, love that. Yeah. It's, it's a great scene, that. Yeah. However, this story does contain my favourite bit of Doctor Who ever, so which is the spinning Christmas tree. I adore that yeah. so much. I could watch that count. In, on, a, on a loop, I could live without watching that. So it, It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant, yeah. isn't it? Um, so before we go on to talk about the book, um, previously spoke to Jason about how he stores his Target books and things like that because I'm unusual, I think, in that I put mine in Target library number order. Almost unique, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I did a Twitter poll as well and I don't think anybody else voted for it. Yeah, yeah just you. Um, I'd never even questioned it. That's the weird thing. I'd always just put them in number order from when I was eight or whatever when I started collecting them. Imagine if you didn't know it was a TV show and you actually read the books in the number order. <laughs> it would make no sense to you whatsoever, would it? I think when I started reading them, I, I wouldn't have been able to name all the Doctors or uh, knew what they looked like or anything either. You'd kind of know the Abominable uh, Snowman wouldn't be the first story ever, though, wouldn't you? So yeah. Whichever one it is. Autumn Invasion, maybe. But uh, um, but I think possibly that you uh, store them and display them uh, in a different way to other people as well. They are in chronological order. They have also got the uh, Missing Adventures slotted in. Plus all the recent uh, books that have come out, they're all slotted in. It's all in the best order you can do. They're not on shelves, they're actually stacked up against the wall. <laughs> so taking out the Christmas Invasion from near the bottom today was um, death-defying. But uh, yeah, they're in chronological. All my books are in, uh, if ever the, the uh, power disappears, I'll be able to do my entire Doctor Who in order. From the uh, Unearthly Child to the end, whenever that is. Yeah, I've uh, I've never seen that before. Yeah, so it's uh, you've got your your PDAs, your MAs, yep, all new adventures, everything in the order. So there must be somewhere it's ambiguous. You just take taking a best. There's a few contradictions. I mean, the sixth Doctor gets regenerated at least twice because there's yeah. the, the 
or three times really, because there's a bit at sort of the end of um, the Trial of Time or book. There's the beginning of the um, the time of the Rani, plus there's the spiral scratch as well. So he right. get, he gets three uh, gets written out three times. So yeah, there's a fair bit of contradiction, but. Uh, and you weren't tempted to put your big finishes in, in among that or anything like that? Funny enough, big finish, they're in... The main range are in production order. The um, fourth Doctor stories are in chronological order. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never had a decision for those. And I've finally put, um, as previously discussed, I've put the, um, the soundtracks slotted in now between the DVDs, so that's all in order now as well. So. I think all right-minded people um, do that, to be honest. I didn't for a while because, <laughs> as again, again, it is stacked up and it makes it very unsafe near yeah. the top. <laughs> so, yeah, the gaps are a bit uh, uncertain. But uh, funnily enough, I had friends around the other day who wanted to watch Rose because, funny enough, you're talking about the book. And uh, taking out that big box set, you know, the original big yeah. tardy shaped box set from the near the bottom of that was um, death divine. Yeah. Yeah, the box sets have, have shrunk a lot, haven't they? Because that yeah. was, a, it was like a cube, wasn't it? That... It was, yeah. The, um, the the original Series 1 box set. And now the very, when you look at the Series 10, the Blu-ray one, it's barely bigger than a, a conventional Man, Blu-ray the Season 1's presented like that now as well. They're all very narrow. So. Yeah. Yeah, they've all, uh, they've all had various incarnations, haven't they? Uh, so, yeah, always interested to, to hear how, uh, how people store their collections. Um, Dangerously. I think that's the word. Yeah. Dangerously. I noticed you didn't have the TV movie... Um, Novelisation by Gary Russell. It should be there. Oh, amazing! I've put it in the wrong bit. No, it is. Um, I didn't. I might be wrong. The photo that you sent me earlier today. I well, if it's missing, it's not by the design. It's uh, <laughs> by uh, restacking them and putting them in the wrong bit. Uh, my apologies. Then it's, uh, it's possible. Yeah, I can just see the Eighth Doctor there. So it's possibly at the edge of the photo. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It does go wider than that. Yeah. So. No, there's no gaps. There's no gaps. I um, I think I might did the TV movie novel and the script book come out slightly before the the TV movie itself. I think even the video came out slightly before. The as video well. came out yeah. I think six days before because mm. I remember pre-ordering it in Woolworths um, and excitedly going in to get it and watching it the same day. Yeah, I think the memory yeah. cheats, but I think it possibly did. I think it was that and the. Uh, Five Doctors were notorious for coming out prior to being a broadcast, weren't they? So uh, Yeah, I, I think I, I tried to resist but couldn't resist either reading the novel or the script book. One of them, whichever one came out first, I think. And then, uh, yeah, I saw the... Uh, I bought the VHS, which was something, something that was on TV six days later, uh, which I remember uh, people saying was uh, I was being ripped off. But at the time, I, you can't now describe how exciting that was, can you? When the TV movie came out, it was amazing. Yeah, I actually was. I watched it with um, with not we on a bank holiday Monday, wasn't it? And, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a yeah May bank holiday, wasn't it? Yeah, and they actually enjoyed it as well, which is good. Yeah, so, uh, I was mainly spellbound by the TARDIS console room, which uh, when you consider that the last time the TARDIS was seen, it was basically painted flats, wasn't it? In yeah, in the battlefield, it would it would look stunning. So yeah. Shame they didn't make any sense whatsoever, but there we are. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it it did have its um, it did have its strong points, didn't it? Design wise, and Paul McGann. But he gave the series such a shot in the arm, though, didn't it? Because like interest had started to wane a bit, I think, and yeah, uh, like the books had done the Seventh Doctor to death, basically. BBC yeah. didn't permit Virgin to regenerate him, so it 
it booted the show. It gave us a new logo. Gave us a new doctor. Yeah, and a logo that has lasted until this year, really. It's still on the book in front of me now. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I guess this is this must be among the um, the last pieces of merchandise. These target novelizations with that logo before the before the big change. Yeah, which is uh, is across the board, isn't it? It's on Big Finish. It's uh, will be soon. Yeah, I think uh, the next release, but one, it'll be the first one with the new logo on it. So. Yeah, the Doctor Who magazine. It's uh, it's it's going to be um, yeah across across absolutely everything. So if we get hopefully we get some Target books next year, um, but they'll have the different logo on them. I can never quite understand why the um, New Who had one logo and Classic Who in yeah. had a different one. So I quite approve of that actually. Yeah, makes sense to, to unify everything, doesn't it? Man, I'm old enough to know, remember when merchandise just had basically they'd make up their own logo, especially the annuals, it'd be like DR yeah. who's stuck on it and <laughs> or no relation relationship to what's on television at all. So. Yeah. And any uh, particular stories you'd like to see novelised uh, if they if they do any more of these? Um I think uh, deep breaths. Yeah. Because if we're getting the, all the doctors' first stories then that's a bit of a missing, so the 11th hour as well, so... Yeah. In the event of the apocalypse, I could have all the Doctor's first stories in yeah. novel form, so... <laughs> yeah. It's a bit worrying to think that I'd probably never live long enough now to reread them all if I wanted to start from the beginning and go to the end. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's a lot of paper there, no? But You'd uh, have to, uh, yeah, it'd be a quite a commitment of time, wouldn't it? But yeah, the nostalgia reading these Target books did take me back. I really did enjoy it, even though I was familiar with the stories. And as you said in your previous, uh, when you discussed the other book, that you can literally just flick a button and there it is to watch it. Yeah. But uh, just the nostalgic value of having it in book form again. Whether new fans will have that or not, I don't know. Whether it's uh, um, aimed at middle-aged people like me or not, I don't know. But uh, I must admit, I really did enjoy reading them all. Um, the last one, the, um, the Peter Capaldi one, I struggled a wee bit because it was so new in my so mm. fresh in my memory but uh, I still enjoyed reading that one yeah but uh, no these all been very good yeah and you can still read them in one sitting as well which is uh, yeah. it's, it's a nice thing I remember when I was a kid sitting down with a target book and, and devouring it all in one go well the second time in my case I got really lazy and downloaded the uh, the uh, iTunes uh, reading of it so <laughs> ah, <laughs> and uh, Delted Tones of Camille Cadori Kod- uh, in my ears reading to me and she did a lovely job of it as well cause, uh, excellent Obviously, she does a good taste, uh, and does Jackie very well, and she does Rose very well as well, so yeah. it's, it's lovely. Yeah. yeah, I think they're doing audiobooks, so Mark Gatiss is doing Twice Upon a Time, isn't he? And Nick Briggs said he's read um, Day of the Doctor, so... Right. And that'll be a challenge, because that's all over, who, which voice he'll do, because it's quite uh, yeah. ambiguous, isn't it? So. That'll be an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, because it's um, it does play with the the medium um, quite a lot in terms of that. If you if you don't know the voice, so I suppose and turn to, to page such and such, which is a bit tricky to do an audio, isn't it? So yeah, whether they've actually rewritten it for that or whether they will just go, well, just do it as written. And, uh, yeah, that will be interesting. Yeah, it's a nice the, visual um, joke at the end as well, isn't there? So that would be a bit tricky to replicate. There is, yeah. and the uh, the chapter nine. I, mean, yeah. I suppose you could do it because you have chapters on a CD, don't you? Go to track nine, I suppose, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, quite how they'll, uh, they'll do it would be interesting. But um, Day of the Doctor is for another podcast. That's a point so, I'm going to say. I just wish they had little pictures in these and it can be really like the really early Target books yeah. with like the little uh, black and white line drawings, which as a child I absolutely adored. Cause, I, uh, I like those, yeah. yeah. I love that one um, from The Cave Monsters um, where... 
the saloon sitting down, I think, with the doctor. And it looks like they're on Parkinson. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very laid back saloon, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, he's very leaning, casual. He's leaning back in the chair like he's a raconteur holding yeah. one hand up. We've well, um, had some very good cookies previously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I remember so. the one for the uh, Terror of the Autumn. The, uh, the drawings were so much better that were on television. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's the uh, kind of the cliche, isn't it, of the Target books that uh, when you've uh, when your memories are a fusion of, of watching the story when you were a kid and then reading the Target book. You... Well, for me, generally true because I mean, a lot of especially the uh, some of the Pertwee six parters are so much better in book form. Yeah, I mean, generally, uh, when I actually came to watch them, I was disappointed that all the bits that were so brilliantly described in the books, a they were like badly realised, or b weren't there at all. Yeah, I <laughs> see. It took me a while to realise that, in fact, when I got to the VHS Revenge of the Cybermen and the TARDIS console room scene that's in the book wasn't in the show, I was like, it was the end yeah. of innocence. I suddenly thought, the books are different to what happened on television. <laughs> so it, was, it, was it was quite a shocking moment, that was. <laughs> I suppose the only change with these ones, they haven't gone for the Doctor Who and the Christmas Invasion. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't you, it? Uh, yeah, that's that quite like. the original ones. Or even a completely different title. Doctor Who and the Rose. Yeah, maybe that one. <laughs> Doctor Who and the Old Invasion again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they could have... Uh, yeah, because you get a lot of the early ones, they, they, you got like the Loch Ness Monster, haven't you? Mm. And uh, the Doomsday Machine, the Cave Monsters. The Giant Robot. Now, I for years didn't realise that actual program was called Robot. I thought it was a Giant Robot. Yeah. It's a much more evocative title, isn't it, as well? Mm. Although we just kind of give the end away a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then if, you know, you've got the uh, the android invasion, you can't... Uh... The Hercule Poirot and the all did it at the end. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned the, the children in need scene uh, oh. that, we, uh, that we got in the sort of November before the Christmas invasion was broadcast. Um, so Colgan has used that in the book. I wonder if it was actually part of the script, you know, and filmed for the... The show and it was cut for length or something. It's such a well directed. It's not like a, a quick scene, is it, in the actual yeah. show? And it's quite integral to the book as well. I mean, it really does explain a lot of Rose's um, behaviour in the rest of the story. How shocked and genuinely scared she was by the regeneration. Yeah, it only sort of least... that being missing in the TV program. It's it sort of thinks, oh, she's got over that quick. Yeah. Whereas actually, in the included in the story itself, it's, it makes more sense. Yeah, because it, it only sort of allays her immediate fears that he's been replaced by an alien or a Slitheen or, or something like that. Um, she thinks he's been teleported or something, doesn't she? Yeah, but it does have effects and things, doesn't it, as well? It's not maybe... Uh, yeah, so it could be a deleted scene. Whereas an actual show, he just sort of pops up and faints for no readily apparent reason, doesn't he? So? Yeah. Although he does look good in the leather jacket. Yeah, there's always a... There's always a little kind of thrill, isn't there, of seeing a doctor in a in his in their predecessor's costume or in another costume. I love Jodie Whittaker looks amazing in Capaldi's. Those brief little uh, photographs we've got that were yeah. taken uh, on the hush hush. She looks really good in the, in the yeah. velvet jacket. So. I think Colin Baker in, in Peter Davison's costume as well. Um, that you, I mean, very brief scenes of. Um, I think looks really good. And yeah, yeah. But uh, they had to take it out of a bit, apparently. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah they had to put uh, a yeah. slap in the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Peter Davison tells that story more than Colin Baker does. 
Yeah, but ironically, when he came to uh, film his bit for the uh, time crash, they was the trousers he had to wear because he'd uh, expanded over yeah. his boots. So <laughs> Colin got his revenge in the end. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that the book massively expands are the uh, scenes at British Rocket Group. Whole new characters, yes. Yeah, which uh, which I liked a lot. Because uh, you've always got the British Rocket Group's the Quater Mass organisation, isn't it? Which is also referenced in... Remembrance of the Daleks. And this is all sort of like being covertly infiltrated by UNIT as well, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, but there's a nice bit, it's all sort of on this uh, industrial site, and uh, people are trying to deliver champagne there, and they've never had to do it there before. And uh, Yeah, it just looks like the most grim, boring place to work, and uh, nobody really notices it because it's And it's so number 42, so whether that was a subtle uh, Douglas Adams reference or not, I don't know. But uh, Yeah, and, and, and not the first Douglas Adams uh, kind of um, thing that you get kind of... Um, Popped in. Yeah, that you get later on. Um, so I thought it was good because the uh, there's the bit where they, they lose contact with the Guinevere one. In the episode, it's just... Uh, on the news, they just say, oh, they briefly lost contact, but it's been re-established. Whereas they make a bit of drama out of that in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, Because you, you get the people who've worked on this project, and it's... Uh, it's and it's they're getting of, excited because it's going to be uh, popping up near Christmas and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so you, you meet uh, the character of... Uh, Llewellyn, um, is it Daniel or David Llewellyn? I put this down somewhere. So you meet the character of Daniel Llewellyn earlier on. Um, and did you uh, read so what uh, she'd written about him at the end of the book? Yeah. How he could tell you. It was not written by a novelist because nobody would, a novelist would write that as a character name. Yeah. It's, it's such a, a faff to spell. Yeah, it's <laughs> such an awkward name to write, yeah. Um, yeah, she does that. Um, uh, Jenny Colgan does the little um, kind of postscript. Um, I thought the odd thing about that was she takes the opportunity to take a swipe at some of the other Christmas specials. Yeah. She says, well, um, says that the, the Christmas special became a, a, a tradition or something, and uh, not, all, or not all of them are successful. Or, um, Rather bizarrely for an altar, she says that owning books is a bit posh, though that's cutting down your readership, then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And the Deadly Assassin is her favourite Target novel, which yeah, raises an eyebrow. Um, so we uh, so we get the scenes. Um, Rodriguez and Nicholson, was it? Like there's a character, uh, Rodriguez and Chuck yeah. in a wheelchair, Matthew Nicholson. Yes. And um, whether they were the original script and they were cut out, or whether she's invented them, I don't know. Um, that's the nice thing about this. We won't know, which is quite pleasant. So we're... Yeah, that's it. It's because um, we've got interviews with Russell T Davies for his book saying some of these bits were cut out because it was too expensive or whatever. Yeah. Or the bits he was going to put back then decided not to. But with this, we don't know whether it's her invention or not. So it's uh, yeah, that's it. Because intriguing um, as a novelist, um, kind of a well-established, high-profile novelist in her own right. Um, I, I guess you'd, you'd imagine she wanted that freedom as well to create her own characters and and, and backstories and and, uh, and whatnot within the uh, within the framework of the story. And saying that though, I thought this was the most sort of of the four books, this was the most classically target book. Yes. It was the most like just like a retelling of the story with a bit of embellishment and character background. Yeah, so, uh, I felt like that. This yeah. is one that felt the most traditionally target. Yeah, I did the kind of, yeah, nice straightforward prose, everything like that. And I think because you've got the, the sort of British space programme stuff mm. That was very much reminding me of seventies Doctor Who as well, you know, sort of ambassadors of death and. Presumably, uh, Bernard's retired. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, the android invasion and, and, and those type of stories mm. where 
Um, having British astronauts was um, uh, and a British space program was. You can almost imagine looking at a CSO screen, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's while that's all going on. Um, as we know, the doctor is uh, is in bed, having brought Rose back to 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 Jackie's flat on the Powell estate. Um, and we learn that that Rose thinks the doctor smells of chalk dust, boiled sweets, lime, and diesel. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was as a result of the regeneration or whether that's how the doctor <laughs> always smells. Uh, it's kind of an odd. Um, Combination. The uh, the chalk dust thing kind of reminded me of, of Peter Capaldi because he's always got the, uh, the the blackboard up in the TARDIS, hasn't he? And maybe she was a bit of a retro thinking there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I thought it was quite sad as well when just before they did arrive, like uh, Jackie sort of being a bit wistful about Christmas and how um, like a friend doesn't mind her whittering onto her on the telephone because she knows because she's got her family there but she knows Jackie's got nobody in that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I thought that was sort of nicely done as well. It's and in all the books I think Mickey's come over quite a, he's quite a tragic character hasn't he? Yeah. And then Rose he's, he's very there's a lot of pathos with him then and in this book the same especially towards the end. So the, yeah it's... Uh, Absolutely. One, one of the things I, I didn't really like particularly in series one is the way that Mickey's treated. Mm. Um, and it's even worse than the book. <laughs> yeah, because it, especially in Rose, you, you get all the stuff about what a decent guy he is, and he's great with his friends, and he's great with Rose, mm. and and um, he's got a whole little like gathering of friends, some of yeah. whom it's like they're only escaped from the world and stuff like that, doesn't he? So yeah, but um, it's quite interesting that Russell T. Davis is basically going. Actually, Rose can be a real bitch sometimes. Yeah, so, absolutely. And in, in um, this, I mean, the. Um, even though he's sort of like he's part of the team, he, he's still got that wistful. Rose was mine. Yeah, yeah, it's uh... and it's. I think in the in the Rose novelization, there are signs that she's quite cruel. Hmm. Um, whereas in this one, it is more that she's just unthinking, isn't it? Hmm. Um, and the Doctor is is less cruel in this incarnation. He he doesn't kind of go around going Mickey the idiot and all that kind of stuff, which was just. For me, it wasn't the doctor. It was kind of bullying. And the fact, I mean, he joins them for the meal at the end, whereas in series one, he just he like uh, he just bugs off. And even though Jackie's like cooking something for them or planning to, yeah, he doesn't want anything to do with it, does he? Whereas at least this when he joins them for Christmas dinner and things. Yeah, I think the the tenant incarnation is is much more decent towards Mickey. Mm-hmm. Um, or when he takes the Mickey out of him, like in school reunion, um, where, with the rats. Uh, yeah. and he's sort of going oh you scream like a little girl and that kind of thing it's more good natured isn't mm. it than just deliberately getting his name wrong and call him an idiot and, uh, and all the rest of it um, the, so later on um, when, it, when the action sort of switches to uh, the unit base under the Tower of London I like the description of um, when they talk about uh, changing on the tube at Bank and they're saying the reason why it's so kind of such a mess down there um, is it is because they had to reroute it, and it's like the way to get into the unit base, and and that uh, you know if you try one of the doors, then uh, the security guards that yeah come on there yeah visit you a bit quickly yeah I think, uh, I think for kids that's great if they're there isn't it yeah. because you, you can kind of imagine that and it reminded me kind of of the Ian Fleming um, James Bond books when he would sort of claim that buildings were like the KGB base and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I think it was all just kind of made up. But it, it just kind of fires the imagination a bit, doesn't it? Of, um, it's become a bit of a running gag as well, hasn't it? Having, having uh, 
other things underneath. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a uh, in the unit in the big Finnish unit stories. There's a uh, unit vault underneath the Angel of the North and that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> and they just simply did it because they keep the uh, maintain the tradition of putting it under. Um, yeah, and landmark. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, especially especially Russell T Davis, you've got because the uh, there's uh, under the Thames barrier, isn't it? And um, the Runaway Bride, you've got uh, oh yes, the yeah, uh, you've got the bass there, and uh, yeah, a few few sort of bits like that. Um, and then the other thing that uh, that Jenny Corgan introduces is this doomed love story for um, Sally and David Llewellyn. Yes. It's not like uh, much of the four, but it's obviously there's a connection between them. And she suffers the loss at the end, doesn't she? And then he feels guilty about her being taken over. Yeah, because she's, uh, she's a unit operative. Now, first time I read it, I got her confused with the um, woman in the, the press officer, who's the unit operative as well. Yeah. And first time I read it, I got those mixed up. It wasn't until I heard it the second time that I suddenly thought... Oh, actually, no, that's two different people. I got those mixed up in my head. Yeah, yeah, because it wasn't. They didn't already know each other before um, Llewellyn goes to the Tower of London, um, and in when because I watched the episode again after I read the book, and when she is taken over in the episode, he sort of grabs her arm and goes, "Sally." To make you wonder um, if that was a bit of the script that disappeared as well. Yeah, then, yeah. because they'd only just met, um, but he's obviously quite familiar, calling her by the f- um, first name, and of all the people that are affected, that's uh, that's who he. Um, uh, you know, he, he sort of grabs. Um, so you they feel quite guilty what he has done has affected her in the book, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, we've got a little reading here about the scene that um, uh, Sally and Daniel share together. Um, this is by my friend Richard Packer, who uh, has been on a couple of episodes. He is a not-we who's uh, watched a bit of Doctor Who for me too, I think. Uh, so this is the reading. Packer! 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 Five miles north, Daniel Llewellyn sat on the stone steps of the embankment in front of the Tower of London, just at the base of the famous bridge. Dawn was breaking. It looked like being a perfect, blue-skied winter's day. Daniel heard footsteps behind him. It was the unit staffer, Sally Jacobs. She smiled rather anxiously at him, and he made to stand up politely before she shooed him down again, then half returned the grip. Nothing yet? Nothing yet, she agreed, holding out a coffee. I didn't add any milk, she said. Well, well, that's kind, said Daniel, taking it as she moved to sit down on the step beside him. So you've had us under surveillance? Yes, sorry. It does rather blight getting to know someone. He looked at her and they smiled nervously at one another. What do you think will happen, he said. I mean, I'm guessing you've been through this kind of thing before. Sally blinked, not wanting to give away too much, nor to give false hope. Not that there was much about, since there was another fly in the ointment. Unit control was trying to get in touch with their old ally, the Doctor. She'd never met him, but she'd heard an awful lot about him. So far, they didn't appear to have had much luck. Llewellyn noticed her reticence immediately. It's all right, he said. I've been telling people I've been working on washing machines for the last four years. She smiled at that, and they shared a moment of understanding. He warmed his hands around the cup she brought him. She found she was twirling a lock of her hair around her fingertips. As soon as she realised she was doing it, she abruptly stopped. He noticed her stopping and blinked. Sally jumped up. This was ridiculous. 
She moved towards the water, looking all around, shivering in the cold. Gorgeous, isn't it? she said, just for something to say. The sun was slowly rising above London's latest half-built skyscraper, a rocket-shaped structure that unit had ordered be named the Gherkin, in case people got any idea of what they were planning to build inside it. Above the gleaming spires of the tower, bouncing off the sparkling Thames all the way down the bend of the river to Westminster. All Llewellyn could see were the rays dancing off the gold of Sally's hair. It was Christmas morning. It might, Llewellyn thought suddenly, be the last dawn he'd ever see. And yet somehow, out here in the silence of an empty city, alone with a beautiful girl, he somehow wasn't quite as scared as he might have been. Becca! 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 So thank you very much to Richard for the reading there. Nice bit with Sally when she sort of thinks how how well he's taken the news about the aliens and everything like that. Because she's a bit where she's sort of like, when she discovers it all, she's sort of like has to go to the loo and cry for about half an yeah. hour, doesn't she? Because <laughs> the entire world's been undermined. <laughs> yeah, and he's, um, he's, he's sort of got into... Um, into into kind of rocket science and things, hoping to meet aliens, but then realised there's actually no chance of meeting them. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, it comes in this story. And ironically, they turn out to be his doom. So. Yeah. And they put so. a bit of flesh on the major as well, don't they? Not as much, he's, but the, there's a nice bit where um, Harriet Jones sort of just says how uncondescending he was to when she first became Prime Minister. Yeah. And stuff like that. So that was just a nice little bit, just to give him a bit of... Uh, a flesh before he uh, loses his flesh. That's uh yeah. I think all the characters are really nicely rounded out like that, aren't they? Um, just as a an interesting little kind of factoid from more from the episode. Do you know which future companion auditioned for the role of Sally? No. Freeman Adjuman. Really? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. And then uh, obviously she got the role. In, Gonna say she got. Uh, Different part anyway, so... Oh, that's yeah, she got two parts, didn't she? Because she's so in... They obviously had her eye on her for quite a while then, so... Yeah, she's in the... Uh, the, the end of series two, isn't she? Jeez, she's yeah, the... Um, uh, she works at Torchwood, yeah. Uh, it's her cousin. Yeah, that's uh, that's establishing the Terence Dix book, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, that uh, it's probably one of the last things that he, that he wrote, I think, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yeah. He, he, did, he the did, did a dark... No... He did that one. Did he not do like a Judoon one or some trial or something after that? I think, yeah, he did one set in Edinburgh, didn't he? After he did that? two, I think, man, that was it. Yeah, did he do I Am a Dalek? No, that was... Um, oh, Jacqueline Rayner. No, was it? No, it was um, Chapter Road Shakespeare Co. Gals Roberts. Yeah. Ah, right. Yes. Well, I'm horribly wrong, wrong isn't it? Uh, if I'm wrong, I'll put it in the show notes. Quick to the Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so we find out later that that's how it goes in. That's a total sidetrack. <laughs> that's a trouble with that. You start. start Man, it's hard to talk about target books and not mention Terence Dick. To be honest, isn't it? So uh, yeah, he should get them mentioned at least in every uh, time you discuss the target books. Absolutely, and it'd be lovely if they offered him one. If there was one that the the scriptwriter didn't want to adapt, it'd be lovely if he got a gong. If you think of how many people that man's got reading over the years, yeah. including myself, because the first proper book I ever read. Absolutely. From start to finish was Day of the Daleks. So, yeah, uh, definitely the author I've read the most yeah. books of. Genuinely myself, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and we can't be unique. So no, absolutely. He yeah, get something for the uh, for his uh, efforts to get everybody reading. Definitely, um, and he's still writing, isn't he? Because I, I, I think he wrote something for that. You know, that big hardback 
Dalek book. Um, I think Kevin Scott wrote some of it, and people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's uh, it's, it's Dalek across the top. Oh, I've seen. I, I don't know. Guns. It's a really big format hardback book. I believe Town Sticks contributed at least a story for that as well. All oh, right. Um, so he is still working. Because he uh, must be quite elderly now. Eighties, is it? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I saw him at a convention over in the northeast probably about three, four years ago. Um, still really good form and everything. Still very funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to get him to. Uh, you know, if there's um, you know, say Stephen Moffat doesn't want to adapt all of his scripts or something. There's nobody better that could. Uh, <laughs> Let's just wants to enjoy his retirement, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's it potentially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's uh, another bit which, um, according to the complete history, is um, from an early draft of the script, is where Rose and Jackie decide they'll try kind of various different medicines and things to heal the doctor. Oh, including the shampoo, yeah. Yeah, this uh, I was reading the complete history volume that covers the Christmas invasion. Uh, yeah, and that was something that was in earlier in there. Um, that they, they just go and kind of go and buy as many over the counter medicines as they could and sort of dab them So, was that cup for time? Or did they just, you know, what the uh, great British public, like kids uh, feeding <laughs> each other shampoo and God knows what else as well? Yeah, um, try some bleach. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure why it was cut, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice series starting here. And it gives Jackie kind of a role to play while, um, I think it's while Rose and Mickey go Christmas shopping, isn't it? Uh, and they're attacked by the, uh, by the Santas. Again, a glorious idea. I love the bit when he shot the Christmas tree down. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh, I'm going to be killed by a Christmas tree. Oh, no, no. When uh, the, 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 uh, the Santas are oh, shooting yeah, at them, they, yeah. they gun down the Christmas tree. Yeah. At that point at Christmas, you're kind of ready for that, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one more fact from the complete history. Um, the Sycorax helmet, again, this is more to do with the episode than the book, but... Um, the Sycorax helmets are based on the Kurgan's helmet from Highlander. Absolutely. Well, and it's about 30 years ago since I've seen that. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love Highlander. It's one of my all-time favourite films. I saw it at the pictures. I didn't see it at the pictures, but I've, I've seen it many, many times on uh, on DVD. I love it. Um, but he's got um, quite a skull-like helmet that he wears in the um, the battle scenes. I remember um, the bit when he was driving along, running over pedestrians, going, excuse me. I remember killing myself laughing. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a highlight. It's a great film. Uh, so, yeah, that's all my, uh, <laughs> my traditional complete history facts that I usually work into a podcast. <laughs> so, what uh, something else that Jenny Corgan uh, expands on is the line that the Doctor has about um, Arthur Dent. At the end, he, he says, uh, oh, he says, nice chap, uh, yeah, about um, kind of being in his dressing gown. Um, he says, There was a nice man. She says that, uh, yeah, Arthur Dent would be quite surprised to hear that because uh, they just sort of played Scrabble and uh, the doctor had no interest in killing Vogons. I wasn't so sure about that bit actually, I yeah. thought that was a bit fourth wall. <laughs> I'm not as well because it's, yeah, because it was a nice line in the original story, but then, mind you. Like uh, people like Oolong Kaluk, they're in Destiny of the Daleks and stuff as well. So maybe the universes are. Yeah. yeah that means the planet's been demolished, though. So. Yeah, that's it. The um, they don't intertwine in any other way, do they? Because, time warp. Uh, Blame the time warp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an effect of the time warp. Yeah. 
but yeah, so when you think the the main thing about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is that Arthur Dent is the last human, you realise that they don't kind of mesh together, do they? Not really. Uh, but I thought the other interesting thing is that they say that um, the Doctor was at college with Ford Prefect. Again. <laughs> so is that a suggestion that he's a Time Lord? Well, he does quite categorically say in the books that he's from Beetlejuice, doesn't he? So yeah. Well, he says a small planet in the vicinity, vicinity of, of Beetlejuice. Oh, maybe, yeah. So but then Gallifreyton and Kostorberus. <laughs> <laughs> but is that in the vicinity of Beetlejuice? And, as Zafel Beeblebrox is Ford Prefect's cousin, is he also a Time Lord? And how did they survive the war? Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, he would have regenerated an extra head, wouldn't he? Yeah. Might make the explanation more. Maybe it's a parallel universe. I don't know. But and yeah, I felt like it. If like it went into too much detail, and it's a bit annoying that they both had to defeat the cricket men in a dead yeah. <laughs> and both had to uh, defeat the same computer, hasn't it? So I suppose that that adds weight to the parallel universe thing, doesn't it? Mm. No, not keen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we also get um, towards so the end of the story where Harriet Jones uses the, the Torchwood weapon to destroy the Sycorax ship, um, she gets to make the argument in the book, the big kind of sensible argument that she doesn't make in the TV episode. Uh, written there, Harriet Jones was right. Explanation <laughs> right. So. Um, but the Sycorax leader did try and turn on the Doctor yeah. and betray him after... Even in the television broadcast, I thought... That's a bit unfair, and in the book it seems even more unfair, yeah. Yeah. So whether J.D. Tico was thought exactly the same and sort of think, <laughs> well, actually, that doesn't make much sense, so... Yeah, I felt like it was more sympathetic towards Harriet Jones in the book, because mm. she sort of talks about how the scene is from Harriet Jones's point of view, isn't it? Um, when the weapon's firing, she's kind of waiting because she knows she's going to get backlash from the Doctor and everything, but she believes she's doing the right thing. Um, and it makes sense for I think to make I the think argument. I think she was entirely so. right, <laughs> <laughs> especially as he's more or less said to her, "Oh, loads of folks coming now, and they'll, yeah. they'll spread the word." So there's, uh, he more or less like lit the blue touch paper for her, didn't he? So, yeah, mm. and that they know that they they won't keep their word because uh, they've got history. Yeah, because so. the leader didn't try to. Uh, I suppose in the end, the doctor's a capricious being and is allowed to be a git sometimes himself, isn't he? So yeah, that's him being a git. But, uh, and as we said, it doesn't shy away from Rose being quite a, a flawed character mm. like that. She's um, very, very thoughtless towards Mickey. Um, you know, at the end, you've got the... Uh, she's, uh, she's quite happy to stand and hold the Doctor's hands and stuff in, in front of Mickey. Well, the Master becoming Prime Minister is not like he doesn't rule the day, is it? So, uh, yeah. Then they all sort of start heading for the roof, don't they, about this point? Yeah, so we um, we get we get some more detail from that as well, don't we? I like the bit of the uh, chap trying to stop his wife falling off the roof. I thought that was yeah. there's a little bit about that because uh, it occurred to me. It seemed amazing that nobody's fallen off at all. Yeah, especially when there's that big shock, sonic shock when the uh, spaceship came through. Like nobody fell off. Yeah. So I thought it was a nice sort of ironic bit that uh, some chap trying to stop his wife fell off himself. <laughs> thought, yeah. yeah, that made me laugh. I have to say. Yeah, that was uh... just a small detail, but. Uh, it, Sort of like went with what I thought when I watched it the first time. Yeah, so yes, I like that. Yeah, they because um, that was the thing in the, in the TV episode. They were adamant that they wouldn't show any children on the roof. So you see children walking along. You see them advancing along, don't you? But, but you don't see any of in them in that incredibly hot summer day. They're trying to pass off as December. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're sweating along with the uh, tinsel and the uh, Santa ears and um, no reindeer ears and stuff, aren't they? Yeah, 
Mind you, the book, it doesn't really feel Christmassy, does it? They're not going, bloody hell, it's cold or anything. They're sort of like happily going along. Yeah. Especially with all the windows blown out. Nobody's cold, are they? So. No, that's true. Obviously, we're reading it in the, in the summer as well. Uh, especially the last couple of weeks, unusually warm for... Uh, Bizarrely warm. For the uh, country we live on. Mind mm. of May's always nice. It'll be horrible now, but the kids are off. It'll be nice again in September, just to spite them. Yeah. That's the way it normally goes. Yeah. I'm quite right, too. That's it. I suppose the thing about the saying about people standing on the roofs, there is the they do within the story say you know it's like hypnotism where you can't hypnotize somebody to kill themselves, so some survival instinct is still there. They're still retaining their balance and uh, yeah, uh, and that kind of thing. But then it's hard to retain your balance on a shaking building. But uh, anyway, yeah, dramatic lesson. That's it. Yeah, it's Christmas. They don't want to kill a load of uh, innocent bystanders. Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> And then Llewellyn realises it, it's his fault because he twigs the blood, blood doesn't he? And yeah, then, uh, that he'd sent a sample of uh, whatever the blood group is. And if that, uh, like the bowl of it they have in the TV series, they go by quite a lot of blood as well. It's like, he trained yeah. a fair few people to send that amount up, so unless they replicated in the ship. But uh, at least in the book you don't get quite as much uh, yeah. in the bowl. But uh, yeah, they must have replicated a bit of it, I think. Yeah. Um, so but they work on the pilot fish idea a bit more in the book as well, and that comes over better. And there's a much more sinister idea that the uh, the Santa Claus is just a precursor for something really terrible coming. Yeah. Um, Mickey, <laughs> nice idea of Mickey having to hack a use a phone line to uh, get online. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> nicely <laughs> retro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that worked better in the book as well because I think it got more attention. Yeah, because I remember probably watching the first time I watched the episode. The Santas, after they disappear, after the Doctor sort of repels them from Jackie's flat, they don't appear again, do they? And yeah, they don't really mean much, do they, to be no. honest, if you missed the, the reference to it. Whereas in the book, it's, it's far more sort of like pointed out. Yeah. Uh, they, they just kind of, uh, they go away defeated at that point. Or, or they go and, I guess, menace somebody else. Or just wait for the spoils, I suppose, after the Sycoraks are going to do whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Mm. And then... Uh, reappear the following Christmas don't they they do in completely different costumes yeah because apparently Russell D. Davis wasn't a big fan of the masks ah right I think they're quite good yeah they're quite so good yeah. work for me you know? yeah they're a lot more sort of chiselled and uh, like a robot of deathy aren't they in the next one sort of like much more defined yeah because um, we don't see under the Santa masks in the Christmas invasion do we no um, you see one of the see masks, the hands uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of go to the floor and rattle but you don't actually see what was underneath it it's left well they forgot to wear gloves or something they forgot to make them wear gloves so you can actually see they've got human hands so. ah right I never noticed that they're 10th planet centers yeah <laughs> uh, so then Rose realising that, that she can't do anything um, drags uh, Mickey and Jackie to the TARDIS and I like that it's a very natural reaction to do we can't do anything we'll just go somewhere safe yeah that's a very sort of like uh, realistic thing to do, I think. Not concerned with the, the rest of her neighbours or anything that they Which well, could all happily fit in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she could have uh, she could have afforded some protection for Yeah, but the BBC probably couldn't have done so. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not a thousand extras in the head, yeah. Yeah. Um and obviously they get beamed up to the ship, Jackie gets left behind. And uh, finally the doctor is restored when Mickey knocks the tea over and the uh, that's what restores him. Not the shampoo. Yeah. So it's... Uh, I do like that, that 
it's uh, it's kind of a story about the absence of the Doctor, isn't it? And uh, what uh, what happens when he isn't there? I think funnily enough, the uh, bits where it starts becoming English when it's speak when it's being translated actually works quite uh, well in book form as well. Which I wonder if it would actually. Yeah, but it does. Uh, yeah. It's just sort of like the gobbledygook, and then English words start appearing. Yeah. Yeah, so that works. But of course, we've lost Llewellyn and uh, the Major at this point. Yeah, they've been uh, fried by the sort of by the whip. Uh, electro whip. Which the Doctor can catch without any effects, which yeah. is, again, a bit strange. But uh, I suppose it's a bit like those, um, is it passes that the Slovene uh, have, uh, the cliffhanger to... Aliens of London. Oh, they don't work on the Doctor either, do yeah, they? Oh, yes, good point. Yes. All the unit people are getting zapped by it, but the Doctor can, can pull his off, can't he? Uh, so that's kind of... I remember at the time, that's what it reminded me of, that he's got some... Who would have thought that? Some resistance to that kind of weapon. Head cannon accepted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then... Yeah, so we haven't really had any, any sort of time in the Doctor's head, have we, in the Doctor's point of view? Um, particularly compared to sort of... The Day yeah, of the, the Doctor, Doctor book, yeah. um, and Twice Upon a Time, you kind of in in one of the two Doctors books, uh, quite a lot, um, until sort of after the uh, the Sikrax have been defeated, really, um, and then you you get the first sort of um, shoots of uh, no, that's not the right word. Hints. Yeah, you get the first hints of his uh, romantic feelings towards Rose, don't you? You. Um, right in front of Mickey. Yeah, which again is very insensitive, and it kind of it, it struck me how far we've come with the new series as well. When I remember when those series went out, you know, you got sort of series two, and there was all the hints that the Doctor and Rose were in love. Um, and in school reunion, he sort of almost says, you know, he, he talks about the companions he's left behind because they'll all just age, and he says, imagine saying that to somebody that you. And then he cuts short, and then he almost says it when um, it's the hologram doctor speaking to Rose in the parallel. Rose that apparently disappears just before, yeah. Yeah, and I think at the time it was uh, there was quite a lot of backlash, wasn't there? It would be fair to say from the old guard, you know, the well, he's never had romantic feelings before, and you know, why has he gone through all these years? And he must have had some because Susan came from somewhere. Yeah, but I think the uh, the the kind of asexual doctor was the, the sort of standard model, wasn't it, that people had come to accept? Well, there is an argument for that. I mean, mm-hmm. in a world where heteronormative imagery is everywhere, having a character without any sexuality is probably quite a relief for some people. But uh, yeah, that wasn't the way the series went, so no, it but changed. It, so. The way it's gone... And if you don't like it, you've got 27 years of it to go back to, so... Absolutely. Um, what I mean is more the, the way that those little hints and, and looks between them were controversial at the time. Yeah. Whereas within the sort of 12, 13 years that it's back now, we've had the Doctor married, very explicitly had a sexual relationship with uh, River Song. It's. Possibly Madame de Pompadour? Uh, yeah, Madame de Pompadour, Queen Elizabeth I. Um, it's uh, it's it, gradually changed in that way, hasn't it? The odd cycle. Um, yes. Yeah. But then the twelfth Doctor didn't, so that was just a facet of that Doctor. So well, why he, should that be any different from uh, being grumpy or throwing no, jelly no, babies around? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean I'm not complaining about it. I just think it's interesting how 
the audience has been pulled along gradually with the the gradual development of that. You know, it's uh, um, and and the twelfth Doctor did spend all that time with River Song on the long long night. Yeah, the uh, the planet, the name I can never remember. Don't um, I mean the towers or something over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, decades with her, isn't it, basically, or something like that? It's, uh, yeah, because one night lasts for like 20, 30, 40 years or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was it. So, uh, yeah, it just struck me how, you know, those little bits were controversial in sort of 2006, 2007. Ten years later, we've, we've much more got used to the idea. And, uh, you know, even the, the kind of marriage to River Song, I mean, technically she married the, um, the android... Uh, with the head, yeah replicant thing that uh, the shape changing thing with the uh, the numbskull type little people oh yes yeah. yeah what was it called Tesselator no the Tesselator yeah that was right wasn't it Tesselector something like that yeah um, but then you know that and that was the kind of thing well she hasn't really married him it's the it's the, uh, it's the robot but then after that it was perfectly you know it was explicitly stated she is my wife we're married uh, uh, and then it just kind of goes further and further uh, into that so yeah that, that's just something that, that, that struck me reading this um, how far the uh, that it's gone in that direction basically it doesn't seem as callous in book form because on the TV version you literally see him doing that right in front of Mickey's face whereas in the book you can sort of imagine oh maybe Mickey was turned away or something yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you can sort of like make it slightly less uh, cruel in the uh, in the written form yeah yeah, and so the other thing that um, I kind of thought when I was reading it was about um, the way uh, we've got Harriet Jones, the urge to cough when uh, the doctor's confronting her. And I, it reminded me of Theresa May when she did that speech and she couldn't stop coughing. And then Jenny Corgan points that out in her afterword as well, doesn't she? That uh, whether it was she, she'd written that first or that it's kind of an explicit uh, link in it to Theresa Strange May. Strange bit of synchronicity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I felt like there was more sympathy for Harriet Jones than mm. there was than we got in the in the TV episode. I think Jackie came across as a much less comic character. So Mickey yeah. remains tragic, and say Harriet Jones was uh, much more um, maligned. I think yeah, she was um, she was correct, and uh, the yeah. was, <laughs> was just a git really. That yeah. uh, these uh, things happen. Yeah, and 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 Rose in the book, Rose and in this. Yeah, slightly cruel, I think, particularly towards Mickey. But you get to dance in the ash of their enemies as well, which is a <laughs> bit of a grim thought as well. Yeah. Um, the bit when, um, it just, just reminded me there with Mickey, it's in the, the TV episode as well, but when they're in the TARDIS, um, and he says something like, oh, I'm not that brave, as in I'm not that brave enough to tackle Jackie about her cooking. Mm -hmm. And she kind of gives him a little compliment and goes, oh, I don't know, you know, kind of like... And I think she knows exactly what she's doing with stuff like that, doesn't she? She mm. gives him just enough to keep him, keep him there, around yeah. and flattering her ego, and uh, you know. This would have been after boom time, wouldn't it? Where he more or less come dancing to her call, yeah, and sort of gone away dejected again. So the fact mm. that he's still even talking to us uh, gives him a bit of credit, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I suppose it makes uh, in the. Um, well, not in this book, but the Rose novelization, you learn that she, she dumped him and went with this other guy and he just kind of waited and didn't do anything. For about a year or something, him. wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I suppose that a wasted makes, year. Uh, yeah. 
make sense of him still hanging around thinking well, he even the same like, thing with the doctor. He congratulates himself, doesn't he? Like his patience won out and stuff like that. Yeah. Knowing, but we know that it's going to be undermined again, don't we? Just uh, Yeah, absolutely. In pages time. You feel bad for him in, in terms of kind of self-respect like that as well. That, uh, yeah, that he'll, he'll let her do that. Oh, well. He gets Martha in the end, so... Yeah, there's a happy it. ending on the horizon. We know that, uh, that yeah, in the future he's happily happily married to Martha. Gets a bit of stubble and goes around shooting some torrents. So yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a very different character, isn't he? With the last time we see him to the first time we see him. I think it was uh, Noel Clark as he likes to be portrayed now more than anything was rather than Mickey, wasn't it? So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a tough man nowadays, right. so yeah. Oh well. Yeah, and he's in a new series on on Sky One at the moment. Yes. Which I haven't if you work it. night shifts, the adverts for it is on. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> it's on all night to the point where I really want, don't want to see it. <laughs> um, I can't remember what it's called. Um, but like you say, the adverts are everywhere. But uh, it's not working. Obviously, not working because neither is going to remember what it's I called. Can't remember it. And um, I think the other actor in it is from Journey to the Center of the Tardis. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at least said about that one, the better. Anyway. Yeah. Because their motivations in that is bizarre to say the least, isn't it? Yes. Hello, brother. We'll pretend you're a robot. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll never guess. We think the Android invasion's bad with the eye patch, but there's nothing on that, is it? It's not. <laughs> uh, the fact that he would need to perform bodily functions yeah, and like not starving to death, that kind of thing. Yeah. Eat and sleep and everything else. Yeah. Feel pain. Mm. It's uh, it's an odd concept. Anyway, on that segue. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've got anything else on this one. No, as I say, it's probably the most traditional of the books. Probably the one I was looking forward to the least, but I really enjoyed it and whipped through it, and probably because low expectations meant I enjoyed it all the more. So uh, I had to read them all in chronological order, so it was the second one I got to, and I was a bit impatient to get to the to the Moffat story. <laughs> but no, I yeah, I really enjoyed it. I rattled through it, so it was a good book. Yeah, absolutely. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and... Uh, I say hopefully if they if they release sort of four of these every year I'll be very happy. Hmm. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure discussing this book with you. Thank you, I've really enjoyed it. And thank you very much for listening at home. Uh, we can find Keith on Twitter as fifty DW fifty. Um and you can find me as at track one underscore. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you could leave a nice review on iTunes if you're feeling particularly well inclined. Do it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please join us next time. Goodbye. Bye.